0: The Athletic.
1: Hello and welcome to an annual, very, very special episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. If you've not listened to our podcast before, you might not be aware that each year Halfway through the season, we do a top 10 rankings, or we usually do a top 10 rankings. More on that in a second. So if you're tuning in, what to expect on this episode, we'll be running through our top 11 drivers of the season so far. Our being me, Jack Benion, your host from the race, and my co-host, J.R. Hildebrand, who has also ranked his top 11. We've averaged them. So, uh, what you're about to hear is uh, a riff on uh, the average finishing position of each driver in our top 11, where they finished. And you'll also get a bit of a vibe as to where JR and I disagreed and differed, where we positioned all of these drivers. So, hopefully, it's going to be entertaining. There's going to be a lot of stats thrown your way. So, you might want to grab a pen and paper. But if you don't want to do that, you can always just listen for the fun of it and just, uh, yeah, just join us for the ride. JR, how are you doing? We both had a. A relatively motorsport free weekend apart from watch- watching the british grand prix so hopefully we're uh, both uh, charged up and ready to fly through this yeah
0: feeling fresh so yeah. <laughs> ready to ready to jump in i felt like this year we, we've obviously uh as you mentioned already we've done the top 11 because we felt like there's sort of no contest all the way at the top so we figured we'd uh we'd we'd rank 10 guys we'd just rank <laughs> rank <laughs> second through 11th instead of first through 10th um yeah and uh, I actually in, in some ways, though, I found I found ranking the, the rest of the rundown more difficult this year. And, and maybe that's because there's been somebody who's so clearly dominated a number of the races over the course of the season that you haven't had. There, it's It seems like in years past, there's been a bit more clarity in terms of there's 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 been more wins dispersed amongst the rest of the. The rest of the drivers in the field. So uh, this was this was definitely a, an interesting one to have to dig into on my part for sure.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's been a really difficult one to do this. And I think there's. we'll get into this, but there's quite a few drivers that we have both got in various different places that could have been three or four positions higher or lower on the list than where they actually uh, ended up. So we'll apologise to those drivers or um, or they can thank us for positioning them so high, depending on uh, who we're talking about and where we get to. But yeah, as JR alluded to, we're doing a top 11 this year and you can look at that in two ways. It's either a top 10 without Alex Pillow because he's the most blatant number one of any rankings in the history of, Well, probably in the history of rankings, but definitely in the history of uh, IndyCar podcast rankings anyway. So uh, we've got a top 11 with Alex as number one. Uh, Sorry to issue a spoiler there. Um, I'm sure that's uh, what everyone was expecting. But yeah. Yeah. So we got a top 11 with with Alex included or a top 10 without Alex included. So we'll let you know who the uh, pseudo number one is as we get to the end of the pod. But we'll we'll start with the very, well, I guess we should start with just a couple of honourable mentions and I'll, I'll let you chime in, JR. I know uh, Glenn Freeman of The Race is uh, a big hater of honourable mentions and thinks we should just stick to the podcast ranking, but he's not here to tell me off right now. So I'm going to quickly reel through uh, mentions for Agustin Canapino, who uh, is obviously not going to make a, a top top 10 drivers list based on his performances in IndyCar but the the quickness of how he's approached the series and how quickly he's adapted definitely makes him someone who um, you could almost get into these rankings based on how well he's done Uh, Callum Eilert on a similar level um, his second season uh, obviously the team's second season with Hunkos and they've expanded so Callum doing a a pretty fantastic job when you look at some of the other sophomores around him um, and and where they finished last year compared to him I think he's um, definitely done a pretty phenomenal job Roman Grosjean obviously hasn't made our list um, after his recent run of uh, poor form let's say Um, I feel a little bit sorry for him in certain ways because I think some of that poor form is not necessarily his fault there have been things outside of his control but you can't really argue with his current run and how uh, difficult it's been for that team and where that's put him in the in the standings. So he's not going to be someone who you're going to hear from in, in the next few minutes either. And uh, Marcus Armstrong sort of on the Augustine Canapino level. Um, Marcus obviously is not going to f- feature particularly highly in a rankings because of missing uh, the the oval races this year, but um, has definitely done a, a strong job in his rookie year with Ganassi. Is there anyone else you want to add to that list? Oh, are you quite happy with that list of honorable mentions there?
0: I think I'm pretty happy with that. I think the only other person that, that just comes to, kind of comes to mind is somebody who, definitely has stood out in a number of races this year, but isn't isn't in the top 10 or 11 in points and and isn't in our top. I think this is one of the first times that you know we've in essence ended up just reordering the the top 11 in the championship rather than kind of you know in, in years past there's usually been somebody right outside of the sort of cutoff in the actual championship points that we've included yeah. this year. It just didn't really make sense to 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 look at it that way. Is Felix because he's done? I think he's done an admirable job of at least again. You know, we haven't seen the results necessarily materialize for him, but he's he's been right there on pace basically through every weekend. uh, You know, including the oval races, including Indy, including places where you sort of expect Pato to be maybe especially good, or where he seems like he's got a particular um, you know, level that he can climb to. So, uh, you know, I think that's in a, in a general sense, I think we've covered off everybody who, who deserves a mention. There's, you know, the field is it, part of, I think my, you know, something that I, I guess I just want to say about how I think about these rankings in general is, you know, these are not, uh, these are in my mind, not to, to point out sort of the, the failures or the shortcomings of anybody in particular. Um, you know, this is this is really about celebrating how truly competitive the IndyCar Championship is. Um and and to apart kind of talk from about from- <laughs> Well apart, yeah, well apart yeah obviously <laughs> apart, apart from Alex. So we've got that little uh little asterisk this year, but um but you I, know, agree. I mean apart even even when you know when you think about when you think about any any of the drivers that you mentioned you know, Graham Rahal, even, you know, having kind of obviously a, a, a tough year overall, but but you kind of you have to appreciate that there's a lot of these guys that, you know, they're they're still really, really top level drivers. You'd stick any of these guys in sports cars or or something else. And, um you know, and they do go do those things and they excel. So, um yeah, it's uh it's as as always, it's tough to it's tough to kind of place where guys are at and especially in the mid-season rankings there's so much racing left to do we've only seen two ovals they're both super speedways so so we kind of haven't had much of a flavor for how guys are going to look um in the short oval which which for the IndyCar series is obviously a, just a big part of the overall diversity of what you have to be good at over the course of the year so that usually that usually for for my money ends up having an effect on where you're sort of thinking about guys right now versus where you think about them at the end of the year, having seen kind of that complete array of uh, you know, how they, how they perform it at, at all of the different call it disciplines within the IndyCar championship. Um, I mean, I can, I can just say quickly, you know, in my mind in terms of how I've thought about this generally, I I definitely, I, I will say I have a little, a little bias kind of one way or the other for, against what I think the expectation for certain drivers is so that that to me factors into these rankings a little bit just what we sort of expect to be able to see certain drivers do and so I'll, I'll call that out along the way uh you know just so that we're sort of on the same page that this is in my mind not necessarily a ranking of like okay if you just put everybody in Alex Pillow's car where do I think that they stack up yeah exactly um, you know some of it is there's a little bit of coming and going in terms of experience level and what we've seen from them in the past and kind of how they're measuring up against that. And then I've certainly, yeah, I try to think, you know, I try to think pretty hard about, you know, the the relative pace and performance of guys within their teams and and trying to at least, that's, that's hard to do in the IndyCar series. Uh, you know, you look at Formula One, that's much easier to do. You kind of see where the teams all stack up against each other much more clearly. And so when you have, a difference in performance between drivers on a, on the same team it's a little easier to extrapolate out like what those differences are uh in the indycar series those differences just to start with are a lot smaller but um you know when we'll we'll, we'll kind of get into this just as we go along but um you know maybe a little more so even at this mid-season rankings than we have in the past i've tried to think about okay what are where do I really think all of these teams stack up against each other and backing my way into a little bit of, you know, my thought behind the rankings for that, from that.
1: Awesome. I think Felix Rosenkiss was a good shout. Um, He's one of the kind of most unusual drivers to try and dissect from this season. It doesn't surprise me that he's not made it into the top 11, but it, it, I, I guess there's elements of his performance that you could argue that would put him in the top 11, like the fact that he's the third best qualifier in the series out of the, Kind of full-time series drivers, and he's had so much, so much misfortune. But for me, just a few too many errors, maybe, or putting himself in bad situations that have kind of led to the position that he finds himself in. But definitely a, an interesting person to raise. We should crack on, I guess. Uh, interestingly, the the first driver we're going to start with the person who finished 11th neither of us put last in our rankings so that's a good start for us but we've got Colton Herter who JR and I both put a 10th in our rankings so we'll quickly just rattle through him uh, and move on because we need to explain why there's a 9th and an 11th in, in different orders I guess but I think Colton his average finish this year is 10th so the uh, I guess putting him kind of 11th and, and JR and I positioning him both in 10th kind of is in keeping of where his average finishes at least. We've seen some misfortune on on his side, particularly in the last couple of races. Um, Road America in mid-Ohio, obviously where things have gone against him and I don't think he necessarily would have won the mid-Ohio race, but the the, the pit speed issue there definitely uh, ruled him out of a a top three anyway and put him quite a bit further back. Um, Obviously, Road America as well. uh, Dropping in that final stint really cost him uh, dearly, but even without those two things kind of going wrong, it's not been a particularly standout season from a driver, who um you know we expect a lot from and I, I imagine jr colton's one of the first people who springs to mind when you said you've kind of judged your people against uh, a certain level of expectation colton's probably the one that stands out most on the list of you know not being in the position where you would expect him to be at the start of the season looking at where he's where he is at now with his results
0: yeah for me that's that's basically the the line here with with colton is he's he, I think he's inside the top 10 drivers in the series, probably just on, on, oh, yeah. you know, in, in a given car on a given weekend, he's got, he's got this kind of incredible pace and and he's shown that he has, you know, a, a, a handle on a lot of the things that you need to be able to go fast. But I think this year we've just, and some of it's to your point, it's, it's not necessarily all been on him, but no, I think we've we've seen him go through some sort of turmoil and and that's just exposed a little bit of you know where where maybe we've maybe we've come to uh you know expect too much of him in terms of being able to just be so dominantly fast that a lot of the little things don't matter basically but this year a lot of those little things have cropped up And, and then I think the other part of it for me is, is so, so I think we've, we've seen that there's still air room for him to room for him to grow and, and that we've, but that on the flip side of that, we've kind of come to expect that he's going to be a totally legitimate championship contender and that he's going to be the best guy at Andretti, which is, I think the other part of me, you know, knocking him just a, a position or two in the rankings or whatever is, frankly, I think Kyle Kirkwood has basically had Colton's number m- more often than not, basically, over the course of the season on road and street circuits, at least. And so for, for Kyle to come in as a new driver, as a sophomore after a altogether lousy first year, for him to be able to come in and be right on Colton's pace in the same car and and okay we'd have you know we'd have to do a little bit more digging here but Kyle has been the best qualifier at Andretti more than once o- over this season and and at some places where you kind of expect Colton to be the guy that's that's going to go throw down um but that just for those reasons I feel like we're seeing Colton in a little bit of a transition phase in his IndyCar career where it's kind of like okay maybe we got to get back to basics and make sure that we really have all of our bases covered here learn a few things figure out how to cover cover off against uh adversity a little bit better during a season and uh and come back swinging next year so i i look to colton to have a better second half than the first half he's definitely had a tumultuous first half of the year but that's that's what that's what kind of was going through my my mind uh thinking about where he would rank on the list
1: it's interesting that he's the fifth best best driver on ovals this season which is if you remember if you if you've not listened to our episode our last episode with Colton where we where we interviewed him on the pod uh, he I felt like he was I don't want to say he was chippy about it but he was definitely like feeling like people don't really give him props for his oval performances or maybe like have not really noticed how quick he has been on ovals even if he hasn't got the finishes to to kind of match it so um interesting that that's been at least one thing that he's kind of seems to have improved on this year although as you mentioned we've only really had two ovals so um, we'll see how that goes but you did mention we go to some short ovals and in the recent Iowa test Colton was quickest and the team were really happy with his tired egg over, over a long run. So that's at least something to look forward to if you're a Colton Herter fan. The reason why Colton is 11th then, after we both positioned him 10th in our, in our rankings, is because we have a, a difficult nine and 10th kind of conundrum that I'm going to run you through. So we've actually gone with Kyle Kirkwood in 9th and Will Power in 10th. And the reason for that is because... Um, we both positioned them nine and eleventh respectively, and I've given Kyle Kirkwood the nod because he's won a race this year and he has a poll. So I've kind of on on the on the the the, the race IndyCar podcast mid-season rankings um, handicap situation, I've given uh, Kyle the nod on the on the race win. So that's how he's uh, nudged ahead. But he is equal with Will. But we've gone with uh, them in that order. I guess the quickly. So I had uh, Kyle in. 11th and JR had Kyle in 9th. I had Will Power in 9th and JR had Kyle in 11th. So, Will uh, has been 25th on the ovals, Um, a lot of that owing to his Indy 500 deterioration at the end there, but he's been the third best on street courses. Um, He actually has a sixth best average finish in the series, but he's only seventh in the championship. So, that's one way you could look at it. He's um, a little bit further behind than he probably should be in terms of these rankings. And just to kind of round up on Kyle, He's qualified on average 8.89, so starting really well as you mentioned. um, Kind of, you feel like he has uh, Carlton's number Jr. It's kind of that kind of backs that up. Um, Kyle fourth on street courses, obviously helped by his Long Beach pole and and win. And another thing that has impressed me about Kyle so far this year is he's been fifth on average in my outlaps rankings, which involves uh, taking each driver's fastest in an outlap um, over the course of a race and then averaging that over the course of the season so Kyle's fifth in the outlap rankings there so JR why don't you tell us there's a bit of disparity here obviously between us Um, Kyle obviously is a bit further behind in the championship than Will but you've put him higher up so why don't you tell us some of the reasons for that
0: yeah I think it it, it, a, a lot of it boils down to the same thinking of you know why Colton wasn't a little bit higher up was just Will's coming off a championship-winning season, where we really saw him in his absolute best form uh, in this for this part of his career, and we just haven't seen that basically for for almost any of this year. He's got no wins. Um, he's he's not stuck on a pole. He's had some great qualifying performances. He's had some great race performances. He definitely he's he's been close at a few places, without question. But he just hasn't. There's kind of. You know, a little bit of this is just on field. that there's kind of been no point over the course of the season that we've really felt like, oh, here comes a dominant willpower at some event yet. That could yeah, certainly totally still agree. happen. Um, and we didn't see that last year either, but he was just so consistently running in top five and the top 10 throughout the season. And so I think a little bit of this is is, again, obviously seventh in the championship. So it's it's not like he's not doing a good job. I think just relative to relative to what we what we've come to expect from Will, what we've come to expect recently from Will, what we saw from him last year, we just haven't seen as much of that this season. Uh, and this, for me, is where it all you know, where are your teammates at? How are they performing? That starts to factor in a little bit here as well. Which is okay. He's got Joseph, who's you know third, second, been bouncing back and forth up at the top of the championship, has two wins. Uh, McLaughlin's ahead of him in the points. Whereas with Kirkwood and and Colton, frankly, both of them, there is no other Andretti car that's further up than either of them. And so if you just take that at face value and take, take kind of the drivers and their races out of the equation, uh, you can make an argument that while we've certainly seen improved pace from Andretti, that in terms of overall uh, what they're bringing to the table weekend to weekend, how they're executing as a team on race weekends, that Maybe there's something left to be kind of desired there for those guys. And so that's really, you know, it's again, it's not Will is has done an incredible job. He absolutely deserves to be on this list, maybe to be higher up on the list. But I think in my mind, it's just kind of like, man, it's it's been um, I feel like as a as a fan, he's almost been frustrating for me to watch this year because you kind of keep thinking that it's all going to come together and and you're going to see this you know really refined willpower and it just hasn't been there as as frequently as you know, you'd think it up to this point in the season and that he's had a couple of races that feel like they've just completely fallen apart so i think that's the end or and or weekends like at road america we've we talked about it but just kind of like, man, it seems all over the place here. So, um, you know, that's, I I think there's a little bit of that, that he's sort of not where we know he can be. And so I'm not, I don't think he's going to be mad about, I I think he probably, I imagine he probably feels that way. And, uh, you know, I I think that 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 ultimately is, I think the perspective that I usually bring to this is like, is is he going to be miffed that he's you know not seventh in this rankings or something it's like probably not cuz i <laughs> i assume deep down like he thinks he should be doing better than this also you know
1: yeah I think conceptually with Will as well, I think it's just been a difficult year for Penske. They've struggled in qualifying more so than they have done in the past. And obviously Will being IndyCar's best ever qualifier to to have only qualified a best of seventh this year is obviously not what he would want or what we expect from him. I guess the surprising part maybe is that last year felt like a bit of a breakthrough in terms of his mindset, how he was performing, how that whole team kind of welded together over the course of that season. And for then for the following year, for them for him to be clearly the third best driver of that team after that year is disappointing from a momentum standpoint where you're expecting, you know, all right, Will's done this once, surely he should be able to, you know, replicate this mindset and and be able to do something similar. And obviously that's not been, that's not been the case. It's been a difficult season for him, for sure. I think on Kyle, I've been so impressed with his, like, his peaks have been phenomenal. And whereas you mentioned with Will, you don't, you've not, you've not really had that feeling. And I agree with this totally. You've not really had that feeling the season where here's like a dominant willpower or here's a willpower who's a favourite to do something incredible in this session or this race. I feel like we've had that with Kyle three or four times this year, which has been super impressive to be the person who's extracting that pace and finding that performance in a team that has Colin Herta in it um, and Roman Grosjean, not to mention. Um, the disappointing thing is we're still seeing some of that kind of um, inconsistency from from Foyt last year creep in and we've seen some some mistakes and some errors where he's been in these positions um, to to score much better results and hasn't been you know hasn't been able to get that over the line but uh, you know we spoke about that with him on the pod didn't we and he said that's his next step now as a driver is to is to find that consistency so for me he's not found that yet and there's still quite a lot of work to do there but in the context of him quite often being the kind of guy I'm looking at in the Andretti camp to be leading that team or to to at least Kind of just come out of nowhere and have some really kind of like pole threatening or win threatening performance, then I think Kyle's the guy for that. So I'm um, I'm happy where we have both of those guys for the, for those kind of two reasons. I think you could arguably Will should be higher up because he is higher up in the championship, and and arguably Kyle has won a race, and you could argue that as a, a sophomore driver he should be higher up as well. But I think they both have their their kind of drawbacks there and the reasons why they've they've fallen a little bit down the rankings again. Just to kind of. Hammer home JR's point from earlier. It's this is meant as a more of a celebration than a to be totally critical of any of these drivers. Um, but we do have to find reasons why, you know, the the top five is the top five. Um, but I think it's just worth kind of pointing out that we've been super impressed with Willpower and Kyle Kirkwood on occasion this year. It's just been um the 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 top ten in our rankings is full of drivers who've had incredible seasons. And you could probably argue that some of the maybe maybe the top three, maybe more, um, you know, let us know when, when you listen to this, um, you know, could have been number ones in other years. Um, but just because of this year, we've got such a, such a, a range of competitive drivers and, and people uh, kind of all over the show. So um, that's kind of uh, where we're
0: at there. All right, so then moving up to eighth on our list, we've got Christian Lundgaard. Uh, he was actually a, a little bit like Colton Herta. He was actually seventh in both of our lists. So just because we because we disagreed about some other some other guys that we'll get to in a second, um, he he falls eighth. You know, I think a, a little bit like Kyle Kirkwood. Christian being 8th here you could find some very you know very justifiable reasons to have either of these guys further up the list obviously we we had him both 7th so we were thinking that maybe he would be further up the list than 8th in this particular case um you know his qualifying average is 13th uh, among all the drivers in the field his finishing average is 10th we see that sort of making sense basically in terms of his uh you know, what we've, what we've seen from him and just from the Ray Hall squad that they, they aren't typically the best qualifiers in the field, but that Christian in particular seems to have managed to extract a lot out of his races, particularly relative to the rest of the guys on that squad. Um, he's been fourth on road courses. So that's, that's certainly what has been the standout component of his performance this year. He's been Ray Hall's top scorer. Um, and, and I think that Overall, to me, Christian has just had one of those seasons that you don't necessarily see it in the results relative to all of the guys in the top teams. But this is, you know, when I'm kind of leading into the pod or leading into our rankings, Christian was really the guy that comes to mind when you think, okay, really, when you think about where that team is at, where Ray Hall is at, you could make a, I think you could make a strong argument that Christian could be like, in the top five of these rankings, if you really waited where the teams are, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a, a, a guy in a Williams that's like performing inside the top five, you know, finishing inside the top five in in F1 races or something like he's he's definitely the one on this team that is extracting the most out of the car. He's often the only one that can find qualifying pace in it. Um, so it's, I mean, without doing a lot of digging, and this is something that maybe we would do at the end of the year, depending on how the rest of the season kind of, you know, plays out. You obviously saw Graham Rahal stick it on the front row at, at mid Ohio this weekend with improved form, but Christian was right up there with him. Um, there have been a lot of times during the course of the season that come to mind for me, at least of Christian, Being like the only the only one of the Ray Hall, like out qualifying the rest of Ray Hall cars by ten spots or something, because he's the only one that's even you know knocking on the door of um, you know being inside the top ten, and the other guys are you know didn't weren't even close to making the cutoff. So um, that to me speaks more to what Christian's been doing than to anything that Jack and Graham have been doing. I think he's just really excelling and over kind of overperforming for what the car has given him. Uh, Jack you wrote a feature about Graham's qualifying at Mid-Ohio for this week that looks at Rahal's season with a bit wider perspective what's what's impressed you the most about Christian in particular this year
1: well before we get into that I did want to I really liked what you said about the Williams being in the top 5 kind of situation and the the thing I just want to ram home for anyone who doesn't maybe you've not thought of it in this perspective or maybe you're a, a Formula 1 fan listening to this pod for the first time or or trying to get into IndyCar maybe but Christian's got 13 Top cars to go up against before he's even thought about any of his kind of contemporary like mid-table teams. Yeah, so, exactly. like if you think about Ganassi, Penske, Andretti, McLaren, that's you know that's already to be to have an average finish of tenth and be the fourth best driver on road courses is you know like a pretty special thing to be able to to do. Um, but I guess the things that have impressed me the most have been his kind of. It really feels this year that he's like taken races by the scruff of the neck and put in that car where it shouldn't be. And that might be a really obvious thing to say after some of the performances that he had last year where he was able to do that on occasion. But it feels like almost every, especially on the road courses, because we know they've had big problems with the street course package at Ray Hall this year. They've had very, very big problems with the overall course package this year. So if you kind of take them in isolation of, there's only so much Christine can do in those situations where, I mean... All right, we expect the best drivers to be able to excel in in any circumstance, but there's only so much you can do when your car's in that kind of window. So, if we kind of just stick to the road course element of this, um, there's so many there's so many sort of memories that just kind of spring to mind of t- times this year where he's he has been the 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 sole reason why that car has finished where it is. Not strategy, not pit stops, not and obviously they play a role. But there's been really big occasions in multiple races where he's taken that car and put it where it is. Big examples I can think of are when he passed Dixon at Barber, uh, which was a key point in the race for him to get into that position for the pit stop strategy. And not not only that, he obviously passed Dixon around the outside of the the, the last corner there, which was super impressive. Definitely go back and uh, watch a replay of of that one. Um, I remember Road America when we had that whole pit incident happening where there was I think there was three McLarens involved, and he just kind of threw it in there like um, some sort of Days of Thunder moment where he just kind of. Uh, it was like a hit and hope type situation, um, but there's been there's been multiple. I mean, we could go through all of his races for for, for the rest of the pod, and that would not be a particularly uh, enjoyable way to go through this top ten. But there's just been many occasions where I feel like he's done a really good job. He's also, as you mentioned, the top scorer in the team. Um, but not only that, he's. So he scored 194 points and the top Ray Hall car last year at this point had 177 points. So he's kind of already 20 points ahead of where they were at last year, not to mention the fact that last year's Indy 500 was double points. So it's a pretty impressive points tally for a Ray Hall car, you know, to to be where we know they've not taken a massive step forward this year compared to last year. So to do all that, to put the car where it is, um, to do that in your second season in IndyCar where you're kind of veteran in brackets, teammates are really struggling and don't really know how to fix the the problems that they've got. Um, not just the teammates, obviously the whole team are, are struggling to isolate their issues and fix them. But to, to do that as a rookie in your second season in IndyCar, um, for, for all those reasons, been really impressed. i definitely agree with you that in another year, maybe he's higher up here and uh, he's breaking into that top five. It's just that the, you know, the, the guys ahead of him are all people who we could have picked to win the championship at the start of the season. And this is Christian Lungard in a a Hall, Letterman Lanigan car. Um, so I think that says all it needs to say about where, what, you know, how highly we, we rate his season this year.
0: Yep. I totally agree. Um, moving along. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, you know, with, with Kyle, with Christian, with, with all these guys, it's, you know, we're, we basically just have to make room to, to talk about how great everybody else has done. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. kind of, uh, it's kind of where we're at. We're, we're going to try not to, uh, is a little shout out for Jensen button. We're going to try not to completely ignore the actual championship standards. <laughs> um, like the, this is a little, uh, inside joke from our mid season rankings a few years ago. Um, <laughs> moving on to seventh, um, we've got Scott McLaughlin. So I actually had Scott eighth. you had him sixth. So because he's, you know, because he's got a win and because we, one of us had him as high up as 6th we we've ranked him seventh here. Um, He's he's quite qual- his average qualifying over the course of the year is has been eleventh. His average finish has been um, fifth among you know from a ranking perspective relative to the other drivers. Um, he's been consistent throughout the course of the year. He's obviously had the one win at Barber, which seemed like every every ounce of Scott McLaughlin that we've gotten used to seeing you know maybe more frequently over the course of the year. Um, he actually has the you know he has the fifth best average finish. Like I said. Um, but is sixth in the championship. So you can kind of make of that what you will. That's that sort of just comes down to, um, you know, the way that the the points tallies work for finishing higher up in the points versus versus being outside of that window. We actually talked to Alexander Rossi a little bit about that when we had him on the pod, just that, you know, this is the type of scenario where you really do. If you're going to finish high up in the championship, you really need to be collecting podiums to be able to, make that happen and so we've not seen that as frequently from scott this year we've seen him finishing well all the time basically but um not not quite at that true peak peak form um i'll let you just jump into this first we've you know you've got scotty a little higher than i have um I, i mean my my reasoning for this is is basically just because i really think that i really you know i had christian seventh i really thought that christian Deserve to be just for the sake of getting some a, a little extra airtime, basically, deserve <laughs> to to have that as a part of this pod. Obviously, McLaughlin is higher up in the championship, he's uh won a race. He, you know, he's somebody who, altogether, just from a results perspective, we we anticipate being further forward. Um, but yeah, well, talked to talk to us about why you've got him sixth. Well, on the points
1: as well, I think we should also mention that there's obviously bonus points to take into consideration, and the Indy 500s twelve points for being on pole. So, um, sure. so obviously, sure. if, if you qualified point. in the top, yeah, if you qualified in the top twelve for the Indy 500, then you're immediately getting a points boost there, which is why some of that average position can change the, uh, I guess the position we're putting them in versus the the standards as well. So that's kind of like an important thing to to consider as well. But Scott Scott's had an interesting season, hasn't he? And I guess if you approach this season expecting Scott to fight for the championship or or even win the championship, which I know some people genuinely believe that and you know thought that that was a realistic thing to to hope for from him. Then yeah, you know this is going to be a diff- disappointing first half of the season that you've seen from him. You know he's nowhere near the lead of the championship. He doesn't feel like a, a re- really feel like a regular contender for wins. Although I feel like St. Pete is the kind of big outlier here. Um, obviously had that crash with Roman Grosjean um, uh, at turn three coming out of the pits, which. Was obviously a mistake on his behalf that he he apologized for uh, fighting hard for the for the lead of the race and what was effectively the net win um, in in that scenario. So um, not an ideal thing and not the kind of mistake that those kind of elite level drivers make usually um, when it comes to race winning scenarios. But I think this is kind of leads into where I'm kind of going with this is that this is in my opinion a Scott McLaughlin who shouldn't necessarily be expected to win the championship this year. Who should be someone who's still learning and still um, you know, finding his way against uh, you know multiple champion teammates um, who are both now Indy 500 winners, thanks to Joseph's success this year. Um, I, I just, I just feel like um, that there's a bit of a hype train. That there was a bit of a hype train leading into the season, based on how many wins Scott had last year and what he was able to achieve with the peaks that just maybe probably raised expectations a little bit too high for this year. What I do like from him is that he's been able to turn around some of those difficult results quite quickly, which was one of the things that we really kind of kicked him for last season when it was definitely in the, in the mid season kind of area. I remember the the spin at Detroit, um, you know, that, that kind of period, the, the 500 obviously crashed out of, I'm going backwards now in terms of races, <laughs> in terms of the calendar, but um, you get the idea. Mid season was a, a really tricky one for Scott and it felt like that, it felt like not not that it was never ending, but it just it went on for quite a long period of of races there where he was struggling and just couldn't really pull that out. And if you if you go and have a look at his his kind of the reaction to his adversity that he's had this year, he's almost always immediately turned it around or um, at least been in the window to turn it round. So um, I think the Indy 500 versus the Indy GP is the only kind of outlier there. But pretty much, um, if you take those two results out and the St. Pete result, he's been in the top ten every race. So. I've been kind of impressed with what he's been able to do this year in the face of a Penske team that is not firing on all cylinders compared to the, their, their rivals and kind of finding their way through difficult qualifying form, not necessarily always just turning up at races, knowing that the car is going to roll off the trailer and be the best car there. Um, you know, these some of these things are, are new, or not necessarily new, but the way you react to those things is probably a little bit new for Scott in certain scenarios and certain races. He's going back to tracks where he's expecting the car to be as good as it was last year and probably not quite getting that in certain scenarios. He's going to different tracks where he wasn't so good last year and finding a car that's much better. So um, I feel like the maybe the standings don't really tell the full story here. And I didn't want to penalise him too much for the level of expectation that was maybe had um, before the start of the season um it, it compared to where he is now basically
0: and i think a lot of that i think all of that is is totally fair um i i do think you're right that i mean i you can count me in the group that thought this might be a situation while it would still be dramatically overachieving relative to his experience in again we talk about like not just in the indycar series in open wheel cars <laughs> Period. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we forget that when when you've had a. You, I think now now everybody's totally forgotten about that uh, <laughs> because he's because he's coming off of a season with multiple wins and and it seems like oh well you know surely he's he's just at that level right? But um, so I, I I agree with you. I agree with you there that the expectations maybe for Scott are where we, where we talk about expectations for for willpower being high maybe the expectations for Scott being similarly high is kind of unfair to him. Um, I think the only thing just as a, and this is not a, I don't mean this as a critique, but one of the things that that has stood out to me this year has been a little bit more poignant this year than it was last year that I just, I guess I just wasn't expecting. I was thinking that the two of them would be closer together is that uh, Scott, I thought that Scott was, I felt by the end of last year that Scott was kind of on the cusp of making an oval breakthrough that he was sort of on this, on a trajectory with his oval performances. You know, he finished second at Texas in that last minute sort of loss at the line to Newgarden until he crashed at Indy. He was the best running Penske car and was kind of on his way to the front last year okay, New Garden sort of dominated the short ovals, but Scott was right there at Gateway at the end of the season, which is not a difficult, you know, not, not an easy place. Like, it's not somewhere where you just end up at the front. Um, like, there's a lot of things that you have to do really well as a driver to stay at the front, even if you've managed to qualify and, and be up there at the beginning. Um, And we just sort of haven't seen that as much this year. And, and to your point, that might be because the... Penske package at those places relative to how it was last year is not kind of quite as good or something. Like maybe you could have said that about Texas, but Joseph won Texas and was, you know, kind of, I think you've basically seen Joseph really excel at, at Texas and at Indianapolis, be super confident, really feel like he's got the car underneath him through practice, through qualifying into the race. To go compete at a really high level, and 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 so it just sort of struck me at those events that there's been a little bit more significant of a disparity between the best guy on the team versus McLaughlin, kind of in those in those situations. That that is fine. Like this is his, you know, whatever third season. You know, doing this, so you know you can't necessarily again. You like to have the expectation that he's going to be as good as Joseph Newgarden, who is arguably the best driver on ovals in the series at this point. Maybe that's asking too much, but it just seemed like he was on a progression to to be closing that gap, as opposed to seeing that gap get a little bit wider in terms of in terms of his performance. And um, you know, that's that I guess is something that that has surprised me a little bit and factored into my thinking for Scott this year.
1: All right. So I'm going to combine the next two together because they're kind of linked, but, um, in sixth in our rankings, we have Pato award. And in fifth, we have Alexander Rossi. So the two teammates, uh, kind of battling out in our rankings The the, maybe the surprising part of this is that Pato is one of the drivers who we have the biggest disparity over in our rankings so uh, I had Pato at 8th JR had Pato at 4th so we'll get into that in a second with Alexander Rossi we were much closer together I had Rossi in 5th and JR had Rossi in 6th we'll get onto Rossi in a sec Uh, Pato uh, is third in terms of the average qualifying position for full-time drivers with a 7.11 uh, his average finish is seventh best uh, 9.78 he's been second on the road courses uh, top five in terms of in and out laps on my ranking um, as the seventh best average finish but is fifth in the championship so yeah, like I said, this is a, a four-place disparity between us here, and you've got him ahead of Marcus Ericsson, um, and Rossi, obviously. So uh, why don't you just give us a quick recap as to why you've kind of positioned him quite a bit higher than some of those other drivers there?
0: I guess I think, you know, of, this this sort of bucks my trend of, of putting guys, uh, you know, maybe... Um, thinking about what the expectation of where they should be at or what their performance should be relative to, to what they've, what they've done. But I think in, in Pato's case, okay, he's, he's screwed up some of his own races this year. That to me, frankly, doesn't factor in much because we've kind of gotten used to him occasionally that occasionally happening. So I don't, I don't expect for that not to happen, I guess with, with Pato award in particular, with somebody who we think of just in a more general context of somebody who's going to be a championship contender, you kind of know that that needs to not happen, but it doesn't, you know, Pato's still young. He's still fiery. He's still kind of working his way. Like I think of Pato as being in a little bit of a similar path as a young guy in the series as Colton Hurta. Like they're, they've both kind of been in it for about the same amount of time. They're both driving for teams that we expect to do well. Um, you know, Pato is extracting a lot more, frankly, on a weekend to weekend basis out of what he's being given. He's still more often than not the fastest qualifier on this team. Um, He had a win taken away basically at St. Pete, which I think is easy to sort of forget that, you know, that he was going to win that, you know, half he was going to win that race. Roman Grosjean was going to win that race. Scott McLaughlin was going to win that race, (laughs) you know, whatever, but in terms of how the race was actually playing out, given that the two guys that were in the lead ahead of this group of cars just took each other out, that wasn't like a failure of some kind that Odo had something that was completely out of his control take him out of the lead. And I don't think Eric I don't think Marcus was going to get by him. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just think I, I think that while he's not had, the the greatest of seasons thus far, he still seems like he's he's he is both in in point standings and just in terms of outright pace. He is the fastest guy and the highest performing guy at Arrow McLaren. And so that I guess that all together just sort of made me feel like, all right, if he's the best guy on this team that deserves to kind of be be recognized uh and and elevated up because well, we we just know that even if these cars are as good as you like know, the one thing that we at this point really don't have a good feel for is how good are the Aero McLaren cars relative to Ganassi and Penske are they just as good as those cars everywhere they go like they might be um but we don't Know that for sure. And and I think that there have definitely been events over this course of this year where Pato has seemed like the most likely guy of anybody else to compete with Alex Pelot at certain places. So um you know be interesting to see how the rest of his season pans out. But but in essence, just in terms of performance, without without mixing Detroit in, without mixing you know, some of those events, you know, Long Beach, obviously, it just completely, you know, fell off the rails for him. Um, You know, I just look at sort of how good he's been without those errors, which is, you know, again, I, I kind of get it that it's a little bit hard to, you're playing both sides of the coin there. Like, for Colton, we're sort of reprimanding him in some way for, for making some errors or not extracting the most out of it. For Pato, I'm giving him a little bit of a pass in those situations, but... Um, it just seems like his overall level has just been been quite high still.
1: I'm not surprised that you've been able to win me over with your luxurious words, JR, but uh, you've done a much better job than I was expecting in terms of me being convinced that you were right, that he should be fourth in the standings than what I thought when you first started speaking. I'll definitely give you that. Um, because I think you're right, he's the only person who's in the same postcode as Alex Plow, really, this season, in terms of like pure performance um if you take those three races out that you've mentioned where he made mistakes or or whatever happened, uh, he was second, second, fourth, second, third and then Mid-Ohio was eighth and the the Alex blows worst position
0: finishing position is eighth, eighth. eighth after starting like all the way at the back of the field also. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So which was his fault? Like I I get like yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, giving yeah. It, we're, we're giving him maybe an undue pass on some of those <laughs> things, but but still like just the the sheer performance that he's had has been basically as impressive as anybody except Alex this year.
1: Yeah. And I can't disagree with that. that I, th- I think that's as close to fact as any opinion is going to get. I think the only thing that really kind of upsets me about all this is that so many of his recent years have been filled with team issues or execution issues or stuff happening to him totally out of his control. And I think there's also an underlying element of him being given a free pass this year because of how good Alex blow has been. Because if you take Alex Blow out of the equation here, Scott Dixon's leading the championship and Pato's 17 points behind, having thrown three races away by himself. So I am one of Pato World's biggest fans in terms of drivers. I enjoy watching race, um, entertaining drivers who bring something different to the series, um, I think his audience and the way he interacts with his audience and his fans is one of the best of any of the drivers in the series. I think so much of what he does is absolutely phenomenal. And he's also just one of the nicest drivers to talk to in terms of just having a conversation <laughs> in, in
0: the series. As long as, well. as you're not another driver.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, probably. That's probably true. Um, especially if you have not done something that he doesn't like. Um, but I just cannot forgive those three those three races, really. Um I mean, the 500 is kind of more forgivable, but I still believe that was more his fault than Marcus Ericsson's fault. Um, and I'll I'll absolutely die on that hill. Um, that that one I'm kind of fine with. Um, Detroit, and I agree I f- with that. Yeah. And I think Detroit was, I think there's a little bit of truth to his kind of, my race was already spent at that, the, you know, the point that he crashed out. I think there was a, an element of truth to that, but that isn't, that doesn't to me mean a free pass to go and stick it in the wall, trying to, you know, find a position that wasn't there or, or hold a position that, that wasn't going to be that wasn't going to be possible so I, I I really enjoyed what you how you brought me around a little bit there in terms of where you've put him in the in the standards because I think he's really high on yours but I can really take what you've said really easily because he is he is genuinely in terms of like pure pace uh, the driver who has been closest to Alex Blow. but that that also kind of pushes me in the opposite direction of well he should be much closer why is he not much closer <laughs> this is the Majority of is the reasons why he's not closer are his fault. So um you're being a lot more lenient than than I am, and that's fair enough. Um we both have our own reasons for putting our drivers where we have. Rossi is an interesting one because I guess just developing that that point a little bit, um in terms of pure performance, he's not been anywhere near passive award, really, in terms of the peak of what, what pato's been able to do this year but i'm guessing jr i won't speak for you but the one of the reasons why i have him so high up in my rankings which is as i mentioned a, a few minutes ago fifth is just because of how surprising he's been basically in terms of how quickly he settled into this team how many challenges this team faced with so many personnel coming in who weren't even motorsport based never mind uh, hadn't worked in indycar before or, or whatever uh, it's a well-trodden story go back and listen to our interview with him uh, a few episodes ago which you've had a lot of really nice comments about thank you for that um we can't take too much credit because Alexander's just a great talker when you sit him down away from the track and let him talk about some things that he wants to talk about and uh, really get into some good interesting racing questions um, he's always a good interview for that side of thing. which is something people maybe don't see when he just gets a microphone shoved under his nose when he's crashed or something bad's happened um, he obviously gets a bit of a rep for how he is with the media sometimes but um, I've always had good experiences with him when he sat down and relaxed in that setting so that was a really enjoyable interview go back and, and listen to that but yeah my, my reasons for that JR really for where he is um, he's eighth in terms of qualifying and finish um, over the course of the season. Um, he's been very good on outlaps, which has been very impressive to watch. Um, but for me, it's just been seeing this kind of team come together and, and him being the cheerleader, quarterback, whatever term you want to use, um, the captain of the team. Um, I think he's done a great job of that and delivered some some impressive performances. And if we look at his actual race finishes, how many races is he on now? Uh, six races in the top 10. Uh, if you take Texas and Long Beach out, um, he was fourth at St. Pete as well. So he's been consistently in the top five or top 10 or, all season long and been really impressive in that sense for me.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it's basically just, it's a lot of the same thing. It's for different reasons than, than Pato. I mean, obviously I had Pato you know, a, a notch ahead of Alex in my rankings, basically just because, because for me, it was hard to ignore just the pure pure performance that Pato has has showcased. On the flip side I think it's fair to have Alexander be as high as he is. I had him sixth, which is higher than where he is in the, in the championship standings and, and the rest yeah. of it. Um, basically just because, okay, we haven't quite seen the consistent pure performance, but we've seen a a sort of masterful level of execution and going and getting what's, what's there without pressing like we've seen Pato and other drivers do frequently over the course of the year, like going for more than what's, what's really there. Like that's just kind of a veteran, a veteran move that even the veterans don't always do the best job of. So we've just seen, I think a really high racing IQ from Rossi over the course of this year, um, essentially mistake free and, and all of that within completely a completely new environment. So, I think the fact that we haven't seen the pure we talked about this on his pod so I won't go into it go into it at length but the fact that we haven't seen the pure performance I think I'm that's the thing that I'm kind of willing to give a little bit of a pass on is like for him to be yeah you said he's not been anywhere near Pato's you know kind of pure pace the reality of it is is that he's actually been quite near Pato's pure pace that just hasn't ended up meaning that he's qualifying inside the top six on, on, on a regular basis. Like he's, but he's kind of been like, you know, he's been a 10th and a half off or something. Like he's, he's been right there. He's made a lot of fast 12s. He's, he's been in that conversation and just needing a little bit more, which I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy at this point to chalk that up to him still just, Finding exactly where his feet are with a new engineer, with a new group, with a new strategist, with a new group of guys, with a new engine manufacturer, with a new team, with a new car. So um, I I think the fact that he's changed teams and is doing as well as he is just within a new team, regardless of where you think that team is at, is is definitely impressive and noteworthy for Alexander Rossi this year. And, um, you know, he's he again, I, I said this after our pod with him he's one of the guys that I'm most interested to see where his season goes for the rest of the season. You know, do we kind of level out here? And this is kind of, and that wouldn't be indicative of, of him not being able to take a, a bigger step going into 2024. It's just sometimes, sometimes you figure a lot of things out at the beginning of the season and you're kind of in learning mode and you're figuring it out and you're managing still to execute. And you get into the, the stretch of the season and, and you kind of just don't maybe quite have the time or the bandwidth or, or, or because you're, because you are actually performing at a pretty high level, the, the kind of focus starts to shift to, okay, can we just execute a little bit better like a little at a slightly higher level rather than, and 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 in some of those situations, there's actually still something that you need to go learn to be able to extract that little bit extra out of it. And, and so whether or not he'll have the space, let's say in the simulator, in, you know, in his debriefs, in his off time, you know, through practice sessions, whatever to go, you know, it's, it's just a matter of like, is there more experimentation required here for Alexander t- to get, to that next half a step or, or will that come with just getting more kind of more comfortable? Um, And so I think that'll, that'll be, that will sort of dictate where he is by the end of the season in my mind. But, but I think that that's not yet written. Basically, we don't really know. We don't know what side of that side of that fence he's going to be on. So, um, you know, he's definitely going to be interesting to watch moving along uh number four on our rankings is our pal Marcus Erickson um I had him fifth you had him third so he's kind of right in the middle here basically uh he will his qualifying has been sixth he's been you know substantially better in qualifying than he was last year uh, his finishing position uh, his average finishing position relative to everybody else has been third so he's he's definitely he's been in the mix I mean he's been He's been the as, as good as Marcus has been anywhere without having won an Indy 500 like he did last year. I guess you know, so it's it's hard to have him fourth. It was hard for me to rank him fifth. I think really just to talk about the the, the his ranking in my mind, it was in essence just because you've got Joseph Newgarden ahead of him, which is the fastest guy on on that team um, on on a different team. Um, a lot of this just came down to the fact that for for Scott Dixon and for Marcus Erickson in my mind, I'm sort of uh I'm 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 giving them a little offset basically in their rankings because Alex has been so incredible in the same car within the same team. So that's essentially like if again, if you had, we sort of talk about this and I try to think about it in the context of where do I think all of these guys would be if they were all driving Alex pelo's car at, in the 10 crew every weekend, like if you all put them in exactly the same environment and, you know, ultimately that's kind of a BS thing to try to do because we just don't know, like maybe, maybe the Penske cars or the Aero McLaren cars are actually just as good or better than Alex pelo's 10 car is weekend to weekend. And we're just seeing Alex Pillow take off with it because he's Alex Pillow. Like that's, I'm I'm happy to, uh, to believe that that's actually what's going on here. But that, in this particular situation, you just know that for Scott Dixon and for Alex Pillow or and and for Marcus Erickson, that they are literally they do have access to everything that uh, that Alex has access to. And so, for me, that's just kind of a built-in, like. All right. I, I'm just gonna kind of count that a little bit against those guys on the same team as the guy that's that's dominating and running away with it. Um, that being said, I mean, you you gotta say that Marcus is having his own incredible season. If it was not for Alex Pillow, he would absolutely be, I think he would be a more legitimate championship contender. Like if you if you took Alex take Alex out and you're just measuring Marcus against New Garden Dixon Award Rossi, McLaughlin Power the rest of these guys that are that are in that group of guys, I think Marcus has absolutely taken a step and I think very clearly could be could end up finishing second in this championship by the end of the year depending on how the rest of the season goes on. Like I I feel like his his level has definitely been elevated this season, um and and that's been that's been impressive to watch and I think on top of that he's. He's one of the guys that has not shied away from being, you know, on air saying we need to improve our road and street course qualifying, and he's gone out and actually done that. Right, like that. That's just a hard thing to do. Like that's something that's easy to say, but very difficult to actually pinpoint something like that. Decide you're going to make an effort to get better at it and problem solve that to like figure out what that means so i th- that in particular is something that i've been super impressed with for marcus this season
1: yeah i think uh, throughout his indycar career as well throughout his ganassi career he's been quite good at do- doing that calling out things that yeah he, he talked about like, that with ovals yeah.
0: like a few years ago yeah yeah and
1: you're right there's very few other drivers who even admit to any flaws never mind like say this is what i'm bad at and i'm going to fix it and then go do it like that is one of Marcus's best qualities, I think you're you right to point out quite a few things. Uh, uh, mainly the qualifying, I feel like he and Scott Dixon have improved massively in terms of the qualifying. Um, he's sixth, Marcus is the sixth best driver this year. And if you look back a couple of seasons ago, that would be quite difficult to believe that in two years' time he was going to be the sixth best qualifier in the series. Qualifying on average 8.44, so that's pretty impressive. Um, it was 10 after nine races last year, so he's already a position and a half higher each race. Um, over the course of the first nine races so that's a big deal he's also the best driver on street courses this year which won't be a surprise to many people who know he's obviously won um, the majority of his races on street courses but when you've got Alex Pillow in the form he's in I think it's impressive that anyone uh, is ahead in any sort of statistic- metric statistic at all um, so that's another kind of uh, a thing that I can kind of point out um, and just his results I guess I, I'm, we'll talk about this with Dixon a bit later on um, or next but um, obviously, mid, the, the the kind of the error at Mid Ohio, uh, where he finished 27th after the the crash on the first lap with Felix Rosenquist, is 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 the one reason why he's not second in the championship. Basically, um, he's fall, right. he's fallen from second to fourth just before we've done these rankings. So you're right to say that you think he could finish second in this championship because that's where you know he would have been before that mistake. If we would have done these rankings after Road America, that's where we would have been. You know, talking about having Marcus and um, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, and if you take that if you take that one race out, then He's been in the top ten every race this season, which you know he's not quite as been consistently high up as as Alex Blow or Scott Dixon, but he's in that kind of he's in that realm and and doing a good job. So yeah, I agree with um, you know a lot of the points you made there, and don't have a whole lot more to add other than that. Um, I wonder how much this ranking has been distorted by the last race and how much that's kind of um, switchings up there. But the the main kind of highlight here is the qualifying, I think, and being able to. Admit to where his flaws are and then go and improve them is one of the most impressive things that you see from a driver. It's probably more impressive than it might have been in the past because drivers are so less likely to come out and admit things like that um, of their own accord. Like you might have a... you know, a journalist or someone on the TV or something might kind of pick up on some of these themes and grill the drivers and then they'll admit it. But Marcus is kind of one of those people who will just, you'll say like, what are you looking to do this year? And he'll be like, well, I've been bad at qualifying and I'm going to improve it. Like not many drivers will do that just out of their own, out of their own kind of pocket. So, um, that's another area I've been pretty impressed with him. So I had him third in my rankings. Um, and the guy who's coming up next, I had fourth, um, which felt really bad. If, if, if there was any point I felt really bad in my rankings as to like, what am I doing? What are you doing, Jack Benyon? What, just come on, think about this. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? Um, I had Joseph Newgarden one spot behind Marcus Ericsson. Um, so that gives away the next driver. Third in our rankings or second, if we're discounting Alex below, is Joseph Newgarden. He's qualifying uh, on average 9.67 this year. So he's ninth in the series. But his finish, the most important one, is equal third uh, with Marcus Eriksson, 8.22. He's 8th and 11th on road and street courses, which is probably a bit of a surprise if you're reading that for the first time and haven't paid a a whole lot of attention to Joseph's season. But he's obviously been first on ovals uh, because he's won the two oval races. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, Two areas... That have impressed me, second in in laps and third on out So that's been pretty impressive. We'll get into his season a bit more in a minute, but obviously this gives away who is number two or number one, depending on how you look at our rankings, Scott Dixon. So he's qualifying fifth in the series um, with an average of 7.67, which is up from 9.56 at this point last year. So we've already mentioned he and Marcus Ericsson improving on their qualifying performance. There's the proof. And his finish is second best in the series at point one one he has also has a better worst finishing position than below if you discount um torpedo award at long beach uh taking him out of that race um but if you take that out of out of uh, consideration here uh dixon uh, has had a really really strong run um apart from that so third fifth seventh sixth sixth fourth fourth second so uh, a pretty dixon like season uh when your teammate hasn't won four races, (laughs) that's usually going to be enough to put you in the lead of the standings or uh, at least have you uh, right up there in the mix. Uh, So I guess the bigger disparity, uh, we had, well, I had Joseph fourth and you had Joseph second, JR. Um, I had Dixon in second and you had him in third. We've already heard from you that one of your reasons for that kind of positioning is because Joseph was the, well, has been the top Penske driver this year. Um, and Dixon and Eriksson are obviously trailing below a little bit I think the thing for Newgarden New for me is just we just haven't seen the Joseph Newgarden we're used to seeing and I think a lot of that is I think a lot of what we're seeing from the Penske crew is that team-wide kind of struggle to match what, what Ganassi have brought to the table this year um, so I don't want to like hate on Joseph for this and this is why I found it so difficult to put him behind Marcus especially after he won the Indy 500 that he's been trying to win for so long um, it's been such a thorn in his side and it was so impressive to see him finally Do that, especially off the back of so much Penske trouble at the 500 for for quite a few years now. That was such an impressive uh, element to the season. Uh, But unfortunately, this is a top 10 ranking of the first nine races. So I tried to factor in all of that and totally take your point that he's been the top driver at Penske this year and that's been really impressive. But for, for me, I'd just written down that the kind of being the eighth best driver and the 11th best driver on road and street courses is just so like not what I would expect from a Joseph Newgarden. Uh, season, And I know a lot of that is probably not his fault. Um, a little bit of it will probably be his fault in areas, but um, I just found it so difficult to try and draw a line between between these three drivers uh, as a whole, to be honest. But especially Joseph, I found really hard to position. So what are some of the reasons, apart from him being the best Penske, that you've put him in, in second in the ranking tier?
0: I think, I mean, for me, it's, it's fairly simple, which is basically he's got two wins He won the Indy 500 in in what was arguably not the best car there. So you still think you still got to look at Ganassi as having kind of a a stranglehold on on what's what's required to go run up at the front. Or if there was if there was a Chevy team that you really thought had their chips pushed into the middle of the table, it was Arrow McLaren, and and that didn't end up materializing for those guys. So the fact that Joseph won that race, he he went out and won that race, right? Like he did, it didn't get handed to him. It didn't, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't in the right place at the right time. He started further back because he just wasn't in a car that was capable of qualifying inside the top five or inside the top 12 even. And, um, you know, a little bit of the same thing at Texas. You know, he, he just, he goes out and gets these wins. It's not, he's not letting anything fall into his lap. He's not, not waiting for something to happen um you know to to sort of you know to end up on the right side of something or or to rely on strategy or whatever i mean he he just drove his way you know at indy just drove his way through the field and ended up and got himself up to the front and you know we talked to him after that obviously he was able to identify you know just in time going into the race weekend on on carb day like the they had already been where they needed to be at some point and, and kind of seems like he made sort of the executive call to like go back to that because he knew what he needed. He knew what he was, fe- he knew, knew the feeling that he needed to have from the car. Um, you know, those, those things just really stand out to me as, as like, you know, I mean, again, the, the the flip side to where we've been at in years past, we've, we've allowed for the fact that the Indy 500 is double points to kind of, affect a little bit of just what, what are the championship standings at this point in the season? Um, If you give Joseph Newgarden that he's, he's very clearly second in the championship. Um, So not, not that, you know, we we've tried to kind of like back our way away from that if we can in years past. And I think in in some respects, we've done a good job of that, but um, you know, I just think that, you know, long beach comes to mind, like an event where he, he was, he and his team were, after that race was over, they were all totally convinced that they were going to win the race. Had they not had the fueling issue in the second to last stop, like they, they knew that they were making the number that everybody else was making to go as long as Kirkwood had gone. And that at that point they were in the lead and we're going to be able to keep the lead in that exchange. Even if you give that, if you still give that to Kirkwood, that's a second instead of an eighth or a ninth on a, on one of the couple of street courses that we've had this year. So that sort of, that's totally out of his control and changes his sort of relative ranking on, on street circuits. At least I totally agree with you that he's not had the, he's not had the, you know, the super consistent form that we're sort of used to seeing from him. Like he, he hasn't even really had the, the, the pace advantage just through practice and qualifying sessions that we've kind of, we've kind of come to expect, like maybe we don't necessarily expect him to be a, front row qualifier at all of these races, but yeah, you sort of expect to see his name at the top of the sheet and, in, in even just more practice sessions going through road and street circuit weekends. And it, but to your point, like we just haven't really been seeing that from Penske as a whole uh, over the, over this year. I mean, it's, it's been, it, it has felt less frequent that you're seeing any of those three guys yeah. in the top two or three of, of practice sessions, let alone, three of them all up there which which we just like last year we did see that somewhat frequently i felt like so that to me is why why i had joseph joseph second and and to talk for a second about scott i i actually i want to i want to touch on something you said about marcus i think you're absolutely right right, that had had the championship stand had we done this ranking prior to mid ohio we we would be talking about the order of these three guys differently because you, you got to say that you're just that it's super impressive what Marcus has done this year. And that, and that maybe that's been more impressive than what Scott's done. Um, it just, just all things considered, but you also look at Scott's season and you say, you know, okay, they, he's, yeah, he's not won a race. That to me is kind of the thing that's, that's missing here a little bit. That's why I put Joseph ahead of him is just, you know, two race wins versus none is to me like not insignificant basically. Um, but the, the form that he's had relative to his previous form is definitely a lot like Marcus is, is just a, a level up, um, you know, long beach totally wasn't his fault. And so in, in comparison, maybe to Marcus where his, his one like bum finish here was completely his fault versus, uh, in Scott's on Scott's side of the fence, you know, basically not his fault at all in my mind. Um. That factors in that factors in a little. And, you know, generally, I think, as I said before, when we were talking about Marcus, just with both of those guys, I kind of wanted to give wanted to give some drivers on other teams a shot to be included inside the top five here, basically, just because, um, you know, they're both in this in the same within the same squad that are absolutely like insanely dominant championship leader is, is on. So I think that's, it's not, it's no knock against Scott. He's had a really impressive season and, and he could, again, like Marcus, he could, we could absolutely see Scott Dixon finish second in the championship. And, and, and maybe over the course of the rest of the season, maybe he reels Alex in a little, you know I mean? That's definitely possible. I mean, after, you know, after mid Ohio, you know, the interview that he gave, I felt like was a a very seasoned, interview that he I think he was he was basically asked like is this championship over and and he just said well no like it's not it's not over till it's over and there's you know there's all kinds of things that could go on Alex has a couple of you know Alex has a couple of DNFs or a couple of particularly bad races and any one of these guys manages to be on the totally they've got to be on the total opposite end of it you've got to have somebody go win the events that alex you know doesn't finish in and then be right there with him for the rest of the year which is doing either of those things is going to be hard to do but um you know i think you saw you saw the the true like veterans mentality that scott dixon has and and you got to appreciate that that's part of why he's still so good
1: Absolutely. And you look at, uh, Road America was the big one for me. Um, he qualified 23rd and turned that into a fourth place finish. And it feels like any time you give him adversity this year, he turns it into, into good things when you give him the opportunity. I mean, Long Beach, he obviously couldn't do anything about that. He was totally taken out of the race. There was no opportunity for him to rebound, but at any other time this year, I mean, well, if you look at his qualifying, at least he's, he, his worst qualifying is ninth apart from that Road America result. Um, one of them was the 500, um, no, it wasn't. The 500, he was sixth, wasn't he? It was the road course, he was ninth. Um, and St. Pete as well, he was ninth. Uh, but ninth is a pretty good worst qualifying position to have. Um, and yeah. we all saw what happened at Road America, um, but he still turned that into a, a fourth place finish. So I, I guess I agree that the the lack of like peak performance there, it, it doesn't really feel like, even though he finished second at Mid-Ohio, it doesn't feel like at any point in this year has he been in a position where he should win a race or that he would be close enough to, to go for that win. I, I guess I kind of... Uh, we we can only made, make these rankings based on the races that we've seen this year. But I find it very hard to believe that at some point in the next nine races, he won't be in a position to win a race based on the performance that Ganassi have brought to the table. And, you know, obviously the counter argument to that is he should have done it already halfway through the year. Uh, but I I just feel like it can only go on so long before he's in a position to do that. And I feel like maybe the consistency with Joseph has been a bigger issue, but I totally agree with your point where it hasn't felt like he's been up there as much as we expect on a consistent basis to, with with, the, with that elite level performance that we expect so it was lovely to see him win the 500 and uh, to get that over the line he he was probably the person in the field who wanted to win that race more than more than anybody else if you could pick someone who would want to win that race more than anybody else it's probably a difficult thing to do but I, I, I get the feeling that every year he'd come back and be worn down by the questions of when are you going to win a 500 um, being asked by people like me because we have to ask these kind of questions but uh, it definitely felt like he he needed that and got that over the line. But we just haven't quite seen that that peak performance. But I'm sure we'll see that at some point in the second half of the season. We just can't factor that into our rankings. So I think we'll call it there, JR, because at number one, Alex Pillow, we don't really need to speak about much because we've spent the last, uh, basically the last five podcasts, uh, six if you count the interview, I guess, with him, <laughs> talking <laughs> talking about him Um I think that's right, six or maybe it's seven, but um, something along those lines. Uh, he's the best qualifier, the best finisher. He's basically ahead in almost every stat apart from he's not the best driver on street courses in terms of finish. That's Mark Ericsson And he's not the best finisher on ovals. That's uh, Joseph Newgarden. Um, I, in our little script list here, Jr. where I've put the, each position of the drivers and some questions as for us to ask each other underneath. Um, Alex Pillow just says ridiculous in capital letters underneath, which I think sums up the first half of his season pretty nicely. It's definitely going to be interesting to see um, if he's able to bounce back from that inevitable, let's say, Scott Dixon, Road America situation where at some point qualifying is going to go wrong for him. Um, we we expect. I mean, I can't imagine he's going to keep qualifying 3.5 six on average yeah. for the rest of the year. Yeah. At some point, it's going to go wrong and how he responds to that is going to be a big deal. Also, if two or three of these races get away from him, the the momentum that you find... I remember... 2020 was a great example of this where Dixon won the first three races and then what felt like for the whole rest of the season, Newgarden was like chipping away at him. Uh, It was probably after the 500 that it really kind of kicked up a gear. Um, And I remember some like uncharacteristic Dixon mistakes, like an an unforced spin at mid-Ohio, which is like Dixon's track at that point in 2020. Um, Just little things like that creeping in. So it's going to be really interesting to see if that pressure comes on. And I know we keep harping on about it but uh, Iowa is going to be such a big one, especially if New Garden's able to to do a double there or at least score at least one victory there and, and have a good performance in the second race. And Alex Blow fourth in terms of fastest time in the recent test, but whether that translates into raw performance, we'll have to see. Thanks for joining us for this uh, bumper episode. It's gone on a little bit longer than our usual episodes, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. Should also mention that Toronto's coming up this weekend. A couple of things to keep in mind there, Colton Herter was on pole last year and has been on pole for the last two races this year, so he's going to be a a person to watch, Uh, always good on street courses anyway, so we'll keep an eye on him. And talking about that Scott Dixon win that we're all waiting for, he took the victory in Toronto last year with a really impressive performance, uh, with uh, his tyres basically falling off by the end of the race, but still managed to bring that car home somehow and hold off and and win there so that was really impressive so keep an eye on Colton Hurton and Scott Dixon they're going to be uh, two drivers to definitely keep an eye on in terms of news and storylines obviously silly season starting to kick off but the the big one for me is waiting to hear if Simon Pagino is going to be clear to race in Toronto for Meyer Shank after his massive crash in mid-Ohio so definitely uh, keep an eye on uh, Maya Shank's socials and uh, IndyCar socials as well and head to the hyphen race.com for your latest news analysis and indycar musings jr thanks so much for all the work that you put in as always with your rankings i know you take this very seriously so thank you for all your hard work there that's really uh, really welcome and makes these uh, makes these rankings achievable uh, by having someone who puts in as much effort as me so thank you very much jr and that's all for this episode of the race indycar podcast we'll catch you after toronto
0: The Athletic.